Hey, everybody. Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Osteroy. We have an awesome conversation for you today with filmmaker Guy Nativ. His new movie, Golda, is in theaters nationwide right now, and it also can be seen on Amazon Prime. We're going to get to chat with Guy in a couple of minutes. But first, thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we will read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe, and you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. All right, let me tell you a little bit about Guy Nativ. He is an Academy Award-winning filmmaker, originally from Israel. His first American short film, Skin, won the 2019 Academy Award for Best Live Action Short, and the feature version, also titled Skin, was released in 2019. His recent film, Golda, stars Academy Award-winning actress Helen Mirren as the first female Prime Minister of Israel, Golda Meir. His next feature film, Tatami, premiered at the Venice International Film Festival in September 2023 to much acclaim. He co-directed the film with Iranian filmmaker Zahra Amir Ibrahami, who won Best Actress at the Cannes Film Festival for her film, Holy Spider. It is the first ever Israeli-Iranian cinematic collaboration. In Israel, Guy wrote and directed three features, including The Flood, Magic Men, and Strangers. Guy, welcome into the back room. Thank you so much, Andy. Great to be here. First off, congrats on uh, Golda. I know it's in theaters nationwide right now and uh, also launched on Amazon a couple of days ago. And so we'll talk about that in a bit. But I just want to peel the onion back a little bit, go back in time to Little Guy in Israel, what he was like. When did movies first get on your radar? Well, in, in Israel in the 80s, um, there weren't a lot of platform like they were in the States or school had um, an artistic platform for, for kids. So I basically, um, I, I didn't have that. And I was very frustrated as a kid because I did want to do some art um, and find my way. But there was only, you know, it's kind of like a, it's, it's a different time. The country was in a, a young country um, and art was not really part of what a kid would go through, you know, I think it only until I was uh, 16 and I went to, to high school is where I, I, uh, went to a special school named Witzo. Witzo is like the, uh, kind of organization around the world that give money to schools. And it was like one specific school in Tel Aviv, um, that had like sculpturing and, you know, drawing and, and and stuff that are not connected to cinema, but it was art. And that changed my life, basically, this, mm -hmm. this school. Because I was so bad in other things like chemistry and mathematics and stuff like that. I just hated it. And I was just, uh, I failed in, in a lot of those classes. And when I came to the, this high school, this specific high school, and I took the bus for two and a half hours because it was, it was far away from my home. That's where I discover myself. That's mm -hmm. where I discover my art. And that's basically saved, saved me and really focused me on what I want to do. And I, now my dad took me to all those movies. I'm sure that you and I grew up on the same movies from the seventies and eighties. Mm -hmm. Um, if you look at it, he, he took me to actually grow, grown up, uh, movies like, you know, I've seen, uh, the untouchable, uh, Brian De Palma, you know, it's, 
Um, I've been like uh, the Goodfellas. He took me to that. He took me to like movies that shaped my world, and I was shocked seeing them. And then, you know, in the neighborhood, we had like those video cassettes that kids would take from the video shop, and they sneaked in, and we saw a Taxi Driver that I was shocked by because at the age of eight, I was like, "What is this?" So, you know, watching all this, like, um, Raging Bull and, and the conversation and Ellis doesn't leave her anymore. I mean, these movies shaped my world and I was not like, I didn't grow up on superhero movies because there weren't any. The only film that was out there was Superman, the first Superman. And it was actually not a superhero movie. It was such an emotional and deep movie. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I grew up on. And I'm sure you did too on movies that have, you know, studios were making movies with depth and, 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 and with a lot of, uh, topics that, um, are essential and strong and powerful. Like I saw network mm-hmm. when I was like 16 and I was like, what is this? Also movies with like family dramas, dramas, movies that had a cultural point and a message that, you know, exactly. wanted to say something rather than just throw 150 or yeah. 500 million at a budget yeah. and then make Just, a superhero film. Exactly. So, and, and I, and I, and I grew up on Hal Hartley because Hal Hartley films came to Tel Aviv and, and as a 16 year old, I saw like, and I, I was overwhelmed by them and all the indie, in the indie wave of New York cinema, you know, that blew me away. So that, that's, that's the me. And, and, and then after the army, you know, I went to three years of, of the army that was kind of a uh stop in everything you do and after the army i didn't go like every other israeli to uh, india or to thailand or to do that kind of a trip after the army i went straight to film school mm-hmm. i didn't want to wait even a, a minute mm-hmm. and that's where i bloomed you know in tel aviv's um yeah and then w, you uh, but then you landed school. in advertising so in the in the you know, because I, I couldn't make money from, from a cinema, obviously in the beginning. And I wanted to, I started with short films. My dad, uh, is an advertiser, like, a, a, he had an advertising agency and I started as a copywriter, um, writing for, for, for commercial mm-hmm. and, and I started writing and writing and then I became, a um, um, creative supervisor and then I, I started directing um, commercials, mm-hmm. which was a segue to making films. Mm-hmm. And when you made that transition, around that time, you mentioned 70s movies, you mentioned Brian De Palma. Obviously, the movies you mentioned, I would say Scorsese is top on the list. Who were some of the inspirations for you around that time? Who did you look up to as a filmmaker? Wow, so many. Um... I think that a lot of uh, European cinema came to to Israel. So Jean de Floret, mm-hmm. you know, Jean de Floret was was wow. I mean, Claude Berry, mm-hmm. he was an amazing uh, filmmaker, and uh, Menon and Claude Sautet, the the of course all Woody Allen films that I grew up on because my parents my parents brought uh, them. And um, but I also I also loved. Um, you know, horror movies were not, were not part, was not part of my childhood because we have enough horror in Israel, like with all the wars. And I think that people were not, but you know, when I saw Michelangelo Antonioni, the passenger, 
1975. It was an amazing movie that shaped me or the, the French connection. Mm-hmm. Um, that was part of it, but it's yeah, a lot of like Kurosawa and the all another, you know, amazing director that shaped my, my gates of heaven. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's so many, so many, I mean, Network was really like uh, Bay Dunaway and Peter Finch. They're, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I'm going through the list and it's just endless list. The Deer Hunter, I mean, mm-hmm. and, I mean, home. Harold and Maud, Hal Ashby. Hal Ashby was Harold like, and Maud is the best. Right? Have you, you ever seen, um, you ever seen Where's Papa? No. Oh my God, I'm going to, what's that? I'm going to change your world. It's also Ruth what's Gordon. That? You know, Ruth Gordon was in Har- Harold and Maude. Where's Papa is with Ruth Gordon and George Siegel. George Siegel plays a single Jewish guy living in, I don't know, Upper West Side, I think. And his mom is Ruth Gordon. And it's all about their relationship and his dating. It is the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. And he has a- Carl Reiner directed it. Wow. Yeah. There's I a line- Carl Reiner. There's a line. I won't say what it is because I don't want to spoil it. A line that George Siegel says to Ruth Gordon- that to this day remains, in my opinion, the funniest line I've ever heard in a movie. So you have to check that out. I want to ask you about Woody Allen. And I ask as a New York Jew, when those movies played in Israel back then, the New York of Woody Allen's essence, right? The Upper West Side, the shtick. Like the Israelis look at New York and go, that's a fucking crazy place. Because his New York is so different than I guess anyone else's New York, but it's so different than what I would imagine Israelis who have never been to New York must imagine. Like, you know, it's just a bunch of neurotic Jews. Well, well, don't forget that I'm an Ashkenazi Jew like you, mm-hmm. and we are both coming from the same shtetl. You know, we both probably, are you Polish? Uh, no, I'm uh, Russian and Austrian. Okay, but it's, it's and German same, And German. It's the, and German. And German. Mm-hmm. And German. Um, we we are all neurotic Jews. And, that is and, true. Uh, you true know, that. True and, that. That's yeah. Hebrew, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and seeing Woody Allen uh, neurotism uh, or you know a neurotic uh, approach and the jokes, we totally get it because it's us. You know, it's all the yeah, um, all the Ashkenazi Jews coming from Eastern Europe to Israel. I mean, we got it. You know, we got it and it was funny for us. And we all understood like we saw uh, his mother as kind of in, in the sky. You know, it was New York stories, I think, that mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the kind of talking to him and said, what are you doing? And he's looking, oh, what do you want from me? And that's that's everyone's mom, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that it totally uh, spoke to us and, and we got it. And I was I was just amazed by his cinema. Um, and it, it started from uh, Catch the... Take the money and run, you know, uh, from that, from that point. But yeah, it definitely influenced me in every, yeah. But yeah, there's so many amazing movies from the seventies and eighties. And also, you know, uh, you can, we can be a lot of very cynical towards ET, but ET changed my life because it's, you're right. It's, it's about family. Mm-hmm. It's about family. It's about divorce. It's about the love and other things. Yeah. It's a love story. In, you well, know. It's a love story. Yeah, it is. One last question on Woody Allen, which sort of speaks to a bigger macro issue, which is separating the man from the artist, right? You can ask this question about Woody Allen. You can ask it about Michael Jackson. You can ask it Roman about- Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski, exactly. 
I have sort of flipped over the years. I, I remember th there was a point where I, I just said, I can't watch any more Woody Allen films. I can't listen to any more Michael Jackson. I'll do Jackson 5, but I can't do Michael Jackson. Uh, right, Roman right. Polanski is like a whole other thing, too. And then I kind of had this thing, like I was like, all right, Picasso, he was a fucking weirdo. Like he was a sexist, a misogynist. I mean, everybody's got Ch issues. Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, I mean, everybody's got a bad side to them. And yeah. I was like, you know what? If I'm going to go through my life choosing my artists and who I listen to and watch and read based on who they are in their personal lives, I might not have anything left to look at. I'm curious to know what your view on that is as an artist. I feel the same as you in a way. Um, it's funny. We, we just came back from Venice Film Festival with our movie and uh, there was a Polanski movie there, his new movie and uh, a Woody Allen film, a new Woody Allen film. And Roman Polanski had this crazy comedy that he just directed and they, they premiered And, you know, the festival got a lot of shit for that. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, we wanted to go and we, we said to ourselves, maybe not, it's weird. I mean, should I go to this film? Should I not? I mean, but you're right. It's, it, there's no one answer to it right. because from one hand, we grew up on his films and Roman Polanski did an amazing, um, you know, few of his films are masterpieces, um, including the pianist and, um, but it's hard now to go to watch those films clean right? right um but then again them this these movies like the, the the those giant movies that we grew up on it's this there's a place in my heart for them so it's 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 a it's it's a fight you know it's a, it's just there's no one answer to it yeah, yeah it is a complicated question and it's a complicated decision that one makes i've kind of i came to a place where it's like you know what i who knows what Mick Jagger's done? Who knows what any of these people do? Eric Clapton now is an anti-vaxxer. Am I, I going to stop listening to Layla? You know, it's like, no, we no, need to draw the line no, with this no. stuff. So it's yeah. like, you know what? Look, I had, I, had, um, I had the same situation now with Golda. Now, Golda was the pioneer. Um, she's not a filmmaker, obviously, but she, she's, you know, she was a pioneer for women. She paved the way to to Angela Merkel and Thatcher and mm -hmm. the whole thing. But, but she got a lot of, you know, she's a controversial character. Right. Uh, she didn't murder anyone, but she, um, she completely ignored the Palestinian issue. She hated the Sephardic Jews, you know, and she, uh, a lot of people blame her for the debacle of, of the Yom Kippur war. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I dealt with her character, uh, Helen Mirren and I sat here in my house and spoke about it. What are we getting into? You know, what are we getting? Are, are we, from one hand, she's, you know, a, a woman uh, degraded by a misogynist man in Israel in the 70s. And that's why she need her stories need to, to, to be told. But then she has a lot of faults. Mm -hmm. um, she's a flawed character. Mm -hmm. um, so it's always a challenge when you are uh, making a biopic of, uh, about someone um, to tell the entire character and not to get, not to, to get, you know, but to, to, to get fire from other people. It's just, it's just very intense right now that everything is so extreme. You know, people are so extreme from both sides. Yeah. I mean, I hate um, using this term cancel culture, but 
it's what you're speaking to. It's like, it's a very tricky landscape and people can see their lives go upside down overnight because of a choice they've made in terms of what they do or what they say. But to your point earlier, what you were just saying, we're all flawed in some way, right? It's just a matter of to what degree. So the idea that we insulate ourselves in life from people who are flawed is just, it's not real realistic. And when you take that into art, well, how do you exclude people who are flawed from music, from television, from movies, from books? It's, it's impossible. Look, I, I, in Skin, the short in Skin feature, I, I took a protagonist as a neo-Nazi and who wanted to do the change. And I, and I brought, brought him as a, you know, and that's, that's insane now to do that because, you know, I was kind of naive like four years ago to do that because, um, yeah, let's make a movie about the neo-Nazi who's changing his life. The but nice, then, the nice see, Nazi. The nice Nazi, yeah. Well, Trump said um, it. I mean, Trump said there are nice Nazis, right? I mean, it's yeah, nice both Nazi, sides, yeah, right? Yeah. But, uh, but, but, but then when you, when you look, when you look at in, in films from the 70s, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you know, um, uh, it's just, there's so many bold decisions mm -hmm. and bold films about flawed characters, you know, a woman under the influence, you know, um, uh, that, that, that's what gave me the inspiration to go and tackle this because I think these are the flawed characters are the most interesting characters in, on films. Look at the Joker, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it, it, and I know it, it brings a lot of fire, but for me, it's very, very interesting in terms of cinema making. Well, you're a hundred percent correct. And, you know, it's all about the execution, right? Like any, anything else in life, it's all in the execution. I mean, my my late wife Adrian made a film about a woman who cheats on her husband with her gynecologist while she's pregnant, and it became this beloved film that grandmas and granddaughters go to see together. Like by the by the way, Andy, it's now a hit in Israel in a, in the theater. Really, waitress. It's just it's a giant hit. Wow, yeah. that's that's crazy. That's so, that little story has so much life to it. It's unbelievable. They made it into a musical, which was a four-year record-shattering production. And I'm yeah, working on yeah. I'm working on a with a studio on a, a te televised version of it, a scripted series. So, oh my God, that's yeah. So, so cool. this this story so cool. has such it's life ahead of it. Blasted. But to your point, I think we're in a culture today where things that we don't know or we don't like or make us uncomfortable. It's worse than ever in terms of the canceling of that. We talk about movies from the 70s. What about TV shows from the 70s? All in the Family, Billy Crystal. All in the Soul. Family. You can't, I love All in the Family. But you can't do any it's of that today. You 50, can't do. 50 years the... later, we're not able to do what we did 50 years ago creatively because the boundaries are now like yeah. so siloed. Yeah, it's so narrow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, do you think that a movie like Dog Day Afternoon would have been done today? No. I love 70s films. I'm totally with you. Every film you mention, I've seen a hundred times. And I'll watch those films and like you hear words being thrown around like the N-word or, or a gay slur. And like you can't say, but then it's like the authenticity, try to make a clean Goodfellas, a politically correct Goodfellas. Story. <laughs> oh my God. Impossible, right? It's impossible. But it's, it's like, impossible. it's not fair that it can't be made because it's art. It's art. I mean, Picasso had, no. gave a woman three, three eyes, right? Why is that okay? Yeah. That's his interpretation.
He didn't give a shit whether it was political. Yeah. He was expressing himself as an artist. You have a choice as a viewer, as a listener, as a reader, not to participate. But when artists, you know, and but we see it in this country today with book bannings in Florida, there, there's we're we're living in in very strange times. But the, but then you have filmmakers like the Safdie brothers, you mm -hmm. know, and like have you seen Hereditary? No. It's um, no. it's uh, Arias Arias there, mm -hmm. you know. Arias there, who did the uh, Boys Afraid and Midsommar. And these filmmakers are so bold and they're so like, they remind me of the 70s wave, you know? Right. Of they just going in there without giving a damn mm -hmm. and just making their own cinema, which I, which I adore. Yeah, it can be done. I think it's just, it's all about the execution. You mentioned Skin. Uh, the, the short was unbelievable. It, it was so powerful. Thank you. I was sitting Thank on the you. edge of my seat watching it. Uh, the full-length feature film was great. I love, you know, it's a true story, right? It's based on real yeah. events. I mean, neo-Nazis. Yeah, Brian yeah, yeah. The, you know, yeah. They, they, there's a movement to convert neo-Nazis, these skinheads, yes. uh, into yeah. real humans. So I yes. want to ask you, that, that is such a departure in terms of theme and subject matter from your earlier work, like, you know, where like a, 13-year-old kids coming of age in his bar mitzvah. Like, you know, how did you get to, <laughs> how did you get to American skinheads? And so authentically, I mean, I was terrified watching this stuff. And, be and because I know it's real. How did you get there? So I was sitting in a coffee shop in Tel Aviv. I was dating my wife back then, girlfriend. And, you know, I knew that I'm about to, to move to the States. We were about to get married and the whole thing. And I was sitting in a coffee shop in front of you. And suddenly I see this article in the newspaper. When you see all those kind of uh, transformation, face, the face of Brian Widener transformed from fully tattooed to clean face. And the neo-Nazi that changed his way and became um, an FBI informant. And I'm reading the article and I'm like, holy shit. This one, if my first American movie, I mean, this, this is my first American movie. I'm, and I called my wife and I sent her the article and she said, you know what? We're meeting them. We are driving to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we're going to meet them right now. You're going to come. I'm going to come from my, from, she was in Canada. I came from Israel. We landed in New Mexico and we drove to, we, we, we slept in, in, in some motel and we met with them. And we had an amazing, amazing uh, meeting with Brian Weider and his wife, Julie. Uh, we had an amazing weekend. I'm the first Jew he met, you know, uh, he's the first neo-Nazi I met. And we sat and we spoke about everything. And he said, look, I was, it's, it's all about my childhood. Hmm. It's all about my childhood. It's all about my, my, my father and the drugs and the this and that. And, and I spoke to him about my grandfather and about his Holocaust, um, experience and, you know, my family and we, she started crying and we, and at the end of this weekend, I felt like we are talking, I'm talking to a human being. Mm -hmm. He used to be a monster, you know, and that's what sent me to my, to write my, my first American movie. And back then Hillary was supposed to be, you know, was about to be president and Neo-Nazis were not even a thing, you know, and when we sent it to a lot of producers, producers told us that, you know, it's not really a thing in the States. There's no real neo-Nazis and, you know, it's, it's whole, it's like maybe you, 
people here and there, but it's, I don't, we don't, we don't want to invest money in this movie. And I was really depressed because all my people, all my friends in Tel Aviv, they continue making movies and here I am in the States, not be able to launch my first film, the first script that I wrote. And, um, so, so Jamie, my wife told me that, you know, you did shorts before let's make a short that will ignite, um, the feature. And that's where Shalon Maimon, um, who is my buddy from, from school, from film school, came to me with the idea of scan the short. Mm -hmm. I told him, okay, let's collaborate in that. We wrote the, the story in like, it's also based on a true story, but we wrote it in a, on a weekend. My wife and I put all our money um, on, on this short. We, we shot it in our backyard, in our backyard, and we... We brought some amazing cast members and we just shot it and edited it and sent it. Now everything shifted because Trump became president. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, you know, the, the whole, there's two sides, the, the, the famous, the famous, uh, monologue. Good Nazis. Uh, speech. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good Nazis, bad Nazis. <laughs> that became like a thing. And, uh, the, uh, you know, the horrible, um, what happened in the, Charlottesville. In the, the, the Charlottesville happened. So finally everything shifted and we sent the film. Now we sent the script to the producers with a short and now the reaction was completely different. So Thing and his wife, uh, Trudy Styler, mm -hmm. saw the short, read the script, said we're in. Orrin Moverman, who's a mm -hmm. good friend, he was there from the get-go. Um, Celine, and he from, said, I'm in. Celine, Retray Celine, from Maven. Celine mm -hmm. from Maven, who was our, still our champion and mm -hmm. still are in, in every movie we make, she's like a, a producer in it. And then we found ourselves in upstate New York with Jamie Bell, with, you know, um, an amazing cast with Vera Formiga, um, shooting this film while the short is starting to, to hit the film festival. So. That's how everything started, and the short and the and the and the features they own they each had their own kind of a way out mm -hmm. and and started to hit to hit the the road and and it, that's that's how it all started. And I really felt that I'm doing the cinema the cinema that I want to do, and which so is like your wife Jamie, who is a kind of a triple threat in her own right: actor, producer, director who I got to know because she contacted me years ago and wanted to help with the Adrian Shelley Foundation. And so I remember watching you guys on stage when you won the Oscar, and I was thinking, what must be going through your heads in that moment? Because you know, winning an Oscar for anything, ever, I mean, there is a list of people that we've all known for 50 years who never won an Oscar. Was that something that was ever even remotely on your radar when you first set out on that journey to make that film? Absolutely not. And that's why, you know, for, for the whole process and here, here, Jamie, we speak about you. Yeah. <laughs> Candy, can you ask the, the question? Yeah, so again? I was wondering what went through your heads when you were standing there holding Mr. Oscar or Mrs. Oscar. Definitely not the penis. I mean, you're in a love thing. I wouldn't know. I never looked for those. I never checked the statue genitalia. That's just not my thing. But uh, what was going through your minds when you won an Oscar for this short film? Right. We didn't think we were going to win. Right. We weren't the favorite. So 
we came and we thought to ourselves, okay, listen, this is a... To be here is yeah. so crazy. Just, yeah. <laughs> just to be here. And it's what makes our business so amazing, you know, also horrible oftentimes, but, but, you know, we rub pennies together and, you know, Guy and his co-writer came up with this idea and we were like, we are going to make this thing no matter what. And just got our friends who believed in this story. And to think that like people, you know, it, it just, what film, oh, it just got into a film festival in Cambodia five years later. That's crazy. So. That's, that's the amazing thing about it is the, the reach, you know, when you get a platform like that, it just has tremendous mm. reach. Must be a big um, hit among all the Pol Pot fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pol Pot. So let's talk about Golda. It focuses on the 1973 Yom Kippur War that lasted 19 days. I think the film kind of centers on around 10 days of that, but why was it important to tell this story and tell it now after 50 years. When I arrived to the project, uh, it was not my initiative. It was not my, uh, it was kind of like an open assignment for directors in Amazon, Amazon. And Ted Hope uh, was leading this, this, he was a champion of this project. So when I got to this, to read the script for the first time, it was a massive war film, like $120 million, like almost like uh, 19, uh, 17 kind of a movie with 80% war, 20% gold. Uh, she wasn't even mm. the main thing. It was like a war movie. And I, and I came and I, and I said, you guys, this is insane. Uh, why are we not focusing on the, on the, on the woman? Why are we doing this massive? Let's, let's, um, let's just switch the, 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 the weight here, um, to do more of gold. And he said, fine. Why don't you give us your pitch of what you want to do? And I came and I pitched it and they said, amazing. And everything was good. And boom, the pandemic happened. And when the pandemic happened and, and Ted Hope left Amazon, uh, the, the, the project got basically cut off and, and we didn't know what to do. And from, uh, 80, a hundred million dollars, uh, movie, it suddenly became 13. Uh, because Helen Mirren was already attached and she told us, okay, use my name to bring money um, and let's try to understand it. They asked me, okay, now when it's $13 million, when it's $12 million, what do you think? How should we do that? And I said, I think that I want to go more of the conversation with Coppola conversation. I want to go into this woman's mind mm -hmm. under her skin using bring the war into the room rather than going outside and try to shoot mm -hmm. the war, which means let's focus on the voices and the sound. And, you know, I'm a big fan of blowout with Travolta, the fact that he's like recording this murder and this whole sound element that is another narrative in the movie. And they liked it, the idea, and we did a shift with the script and from that point, um, embankment. Uh, from the UK and Bleecker Street, um, got into the project and invested their money. And we found ourselves in the middle of the pandemic in the UK, shooting this movie about an older woman, a sick older woman who suffered from cancer, that um, her suffering, her physical and mental suffering is basically what the country is going through. Mm. Um, surrounded with, with, with uh, Hebrews 
um, misogynist um, commanders that got a giant slap after they they thought them the king of the Middle East, and now they are basically on the verge of of losing their country. Mm-hmm. And so the, that was the the approach. Mm-hmm. And the interaction with the United States and Henry Kissinger, in particular, who was the Secretary of State at the time, that's also a central theme in the film. Now, you have to understand, Golda Meir was beloved in the States by all the aunties, the the Jewish aunties, you know, but she's so hated in Israel because it was very easy to blame this older woman. So she's she's almost like the pariah Mm -hmm. of Israel. There's no queer school road street under her name. After her name, interesting, um, and that's why that's how people were ashamed of her. Now, my goal was not only to clear her name and to bring her as because the Golda that we grew up on is like a, a, an older woman on a fifty shekel bill. Hmm. And what I wanted people to to know and have is there is the uh, human Golda, mm-hmm. and I thought that that. Going into those 20, 10 days in the war, it's almost like a requiem for a leader, a requiem for this lady who died together with the country. Um, and and that, that was my goal, to bring a, a more human Golda, a more three-dimensional Golda to people who grew up on basically a myth. What did you base that on? How did you get to know the Golda that the rest of the world perhaps might not have seen so much? Was it told to you through family members, colleagues, books that you read about her, all the above? Okay, so uh, Nicholas Martin, who wrote the script, I didn't write the script, um, he met with a lot of generals, a lot of people that knew Golda back then, but what really gave him the the, the information to write the script is uh, the, the 10 years ago, there was a release from top secret documents from the war and from the war rooms and from the Agrarist Committee that investigated them. Uh, it came out and all the secrets and all the debacle and all the, you know, the, the defaults and all the, the secrets and lies came out and he used that as uh, the DNA for the movie. And mm-hmm. um, all the sound bites that you hear in the war room are real sound bites that we got from one of the soldiers that recorded them during the war. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of a lot of uh, 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 information, archival stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I want to ask you a question that sort of touches on controversy, not just with your film in particular on a, on a smaller scale, but in general. There's a, a movement today in in the acting profession that actors films about certain types of people, certain ethnicities, things like that that they should be accurately portrayed by those who are in that religion or race or gender. So, for example, with your film, Helen Mirren, she actually came to you early on and said, are you sure you want me because I'm not Jewish? And that sort of speaks to this issue today, which I think is exacerbated mostly by uh, Bradley Cooper and the whole Jew face uh, controversy uh, with him wearing a prosthetic prosthetic nose and uh, and playing uh, composer Leonard Bernstein. Um, It's such a fascinating conversation. I have a very strong opinion, but I'm curious to know like how you navigated through that and what is your thinking, not just as it relates to Golda, but just in general about actors 
portraying people who they're not. Isn't that called acting? <laughs> well, that's my like answer. Just portraying people who... <laughs> yeah, that's my answer. You know, like I, it's... I mean, I wanna... you, just, you just answer it. Yeah, it's, um... isn't it like a duh? Like, why are we at this place today? And look, not e I've had the argument with people about the business side, like cast contingencies and all that. Like, put that aside, even though that's a reality, okay? It's acting. Well, but why do you think it's such a thing? Why is it just because of what I, we were talking I, about look, before, the landscape we're I, in? I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote Helen, who said, who answered it beautifully. The the whole question about um, you know casting and and the right casting and the, the you know under president, I, like the the people who didn't get a chance to be to be there on the big screen or on the small screen. Is very important because when you look at, um, you know, um, let's say uh, a movie like Coda, who who the, the cast was um, basically with people that had um, uh, were were disabled or were were hearing um, disabled, yeah, uh, impaired, yeah. That's that's amazing. That's amazing to see that. You know, because 20 years ago, 30 years ago, they were probably cast on Hanks and Michelle Pfeiffer to, to play those roles, right? And then if you look at uh, A Center of a Woman, they will probably take, um, you know, probably cast someone who is really blind, you know, who, who's a blind actor. Um, and that will probably make it more authentic. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so there is, there is uh, uh, a meaningful uh, discussion about that. You know, because um, I think that even Dallas Buyers Club, you know, what Jared Leto is playing, like, is they will probably cast someone who's, you know, who's more right for it, you know, and and that's fine and that's good. That's a good shift. But when it's coming, but when it's coming to Judaism, I think it's a different case for me as a Jewish Israeli person. Um, if you start saying that only Jews can portray Jews, then what? Tomorrow there's a role of a Protestant or a, of a Catholic. Mm -hmm. That means that Jewish Jewish actor cannot portray a, a Catholic person mm -hmm. because he's not Catholic. And then, you know, it started to be really dangerous in a way. Um, and I'm all for open, open your mind and heart and everything like that. But I really think that when I met Helen, and she told me about her days in the kibbutz when she was 29, touring the country, touring Israel for four months, um, knowing the Israeli people and what it means to be Israeli, knowing what it means to be, you know, gold. Uh, She's Jewish. Exactly. And I felt I'm, so, I'm speaking to my mom. You know, I feel that it's like you're speaking to somebody who yeah. is your family member. Right. I felt it. Mm -hmm. and, and she came into this role knowing that she would get shit for it, right. but she was so right for it. And I'm not the first person who said that she's the right person for it. It's, it's actually Gideon Meir, the grandson of Golda Meir, who said, before even I got to the, to, the, to the project, he said, I see my Baba, I see my grandma in Helen. Mm. Please cast her, okay? So, you know, it's, it's a good discussion to have. In this case, I felt that Helen is the right person to be golden.
Yeah, it, well, like you said, it should be whoever makes whoever you feel as a director is is going to do the job the way you need it to be conveyed. It's 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 and it's acting. I mean, it gets back to the first thing you you answered with. It's acting. Actors, by the virtue of what they do, they they become people they're not. And I also don't think Jewish people have any problem in in casting. Yeah, uh, in the states, I don't think there's like, oh, oh my god, they, no one casts. Jew to play it's doesn't it you see so many Jews portraying non-Jews and Jews right in Hollywood and in the world I mean look yeah. at Shira Haas look at Gal Gadot look at like you know even isn't Harrison Ford Jewish I mean you know it's just you have that that might be a little wishful thinking <laughs> yeah you're, yeah. Rem, you're reminding me, maybe he's a quarter Jewish. Uh, Jen is telling me he's a quarter Jewish. But when I was growing up, my okay. parents, I don't know, I always wonder if people's parents played the same game that my parents did, which was, he's Jewish. Like, my father thought everybody was Jewish. We'd watch a boxing match, and he'd, he'd look at me and go, Muhammad Ali, you know, he's Jewish. And I'd be like, Dad, he's not Jewish. Muhammad Ali is not Jewish, okay? Uh, the Pope, the Pope is, no, the Pope is not Jewish. So, um... Let me ask you a question about gold in my ear, because as an American, I sit here in 2023. We still don't have a woman president. Fifty fucking years ago, Israel had a female prime minister. India, New Zealand. I mean, there are countries all Germany, Angela Merkel, England, England for, for decades. What is wrong with America? What? You're really asking me, the Israeli guy? Yes. Well, um, you're, you're Israeli American, so you you got. Yeah. Your... Well, I think I think I think there's a lot of wrong with America, and I think that we are we are. I just saw read the the polls um, yesterday that you know give Trump a big nine points. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nine points. I mean, it's liar. so depressing. It's, it's so depressing. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of wrong with America. I think there's a half you know, that is, is sane and trying to yeah. maintain and perhaps that is not. But, but when you look at the, though, just the issue of leadership, of leadership we are, we are yeah, this, this yeah. beacon of democracy all over the world, and we can't have a woman president. It's just a crazy thing. So now I want to ask you about your country, okay? Because your country's a little bit on the hot seat these days. A little bit? Yeah, I believe you're, I I believe you're a little... little bit, <laughs> I believe it's, you're a little bit outspoken. Uh, a lot. You're a little outspoken yeah, politically. I'm very outspoken. You're very you're outspoken. not a yeah, fan yeah. of the occupation. You 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 are like a lot of Israelis. Uh, of course, of course. Um, yeah. What is what what do you think is happening in not so much like what what is on the ground today, but when you try to play out where is this going? It's kind of a scary look into the future. Very scary look, but I think it. If you look at it, if you do take like a top shot of. of of the world right now, there's a lot of, there's a, a right wing, extreme right wing wave that is basically um, washing us. You know, look at Italy, look at Hungary, look at Poland, look at Turkey, look at like all uh, those countries that used to, look at Argentina right now. Look at that. Like they, they, they just, the, the right extreme leaders are taking over a lot of those countries. And that's what exactly happening in Israel right now. I think that Benjamin Netanyahu, who used to be more moderate, by the way, he used to be more kind of a middle guy. Um, still, he's not my taste, never was. But now seeing him controlled by those extremists and by this right wing, it's very upsetting. I, I, I went um, with a lot of my 
friends and veterans from the war, from Yom Kippur War, and my father, I went to demonstrate against this horrible government in Israel. And you know what? It gave me, um, on one hand, the country is in deep shit right now. Deep shit. It's like the, the judicial system and the, the whole <laughs> women's right and the whole stuff. It's just very, very troubling. Seeing it from outside, it's, uh, it's really troubling and mind-blowing. But but to see the same, the half thin side of people care, walking up, mm-hmm. you know, going to the streets and demonstrate and be among thousands, give you a lot of hope that people still care. And I miss that in the States, by the way. I miss the demonstrations in the States of the, the, the same people of the, of the left wing. Let's demonstrate. Let's go and demonstrate for women's rights. And let's do that in, in like what happened in, in after Black Lives Matter. You know, I went with my wife and kids to protest and it was great. Mm-hmm. I need to see that from, from the left side, from us, you know, to see that we really care. Here. Because otherwise we'll find ourselves, yeah, here. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise we'll find ourselves with Trump again in one year. And that will be the, 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 the end of it. Yeah, well, there are a lot of parallels between the United States and Israel, not just in their in their leadership. I mean, when you compare Trump and Netanyahu, yeah, um, Yeah. but just where the country is in terms of the divisiveness. You know, half the country in Israel, you talk about is sane. Half of the country here is sane, and the other half is you know, yeah, varying degrees of insane. Um, And so you look at you know the 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 rise of right wing extremism, which you know, is getting back to skin, like it is part of your work. Yes. And and so professionally and personally, this is obviously a subject that's important to you. Anti-Semitism, you look at that on the rise. You're a, you're a grandson of, of Holocaust survivors. Um, you know, the expression never again. I'm sure like me, there was a point in your life where you were like, yeah, never again. And then all of a sudden, a few years ago, you were like, mm, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not ready to say yeah. never again anymore. And you start yes, thinking yes. about like Germany. There was no genocide in the late 20s or the early 30s. It was just the beginnings. And you see- The beginning of it, And yeah. then you see people scaling the, the capital walls and you see the rhetoric and you see the dudes with their Nazi and the guns and you're like, what the fuck? This, I mean, never again? No way. And so being an Israeli who's come here and living here now, is there a part of you that misses being back? Because I think about that all the time. With all the shit that's out there in Israel, I wouldn't mind actually living in a place where most people are like me, my people. So I have like the opposite pole. Like I'm thinking of like, maybe yeah, someday yeah. I'm going to, you know, yeah. so I wonder if you, if you're living here now wishing like as bad as it is over there, it's still like, it's a Jewish state. Yeah, but it's a Jewish state that hates each other. Like, like Jews, Jews hate you. You see, like uh, two days ago, there was um, people went into Tel Aviv to pray in the Yom Kippur War, and that's fine, you know. Uh, but they separated women and men, and that's something that is not right. Right. And they did it uh, intentionally to provoke the Tel Avivians, you know, and to start fighting between Tel Aviv, Tel Avivians uh, towards the, 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 the Hasidic Jews or the religious Jews. And there was a big fight between the two. And you can see it's a, it started to be like a civil war in Israel. Uh, but, but when you talk about Holocaust and you talk about those, like, look at Putin, mm-hmm. look at what Putin is doing to Ukraine. Right. 
this is Holocaust. Sure. This is like a crazy leader, you know, um, that lost his mind. And tomorrow there could be like a third world war right. with this guy. You know, no. So, you know, the, the, uh, Golda is opened in Russia and uh, in, the, in the cinemas in Russia. It was sold to Russia before the war started, before the invasion. I was against that, but I, I, did, I couldn't, there's nothing I could do to prevent it. Mm. One day after the screening, I'm getting a journalist calls me and tells me, listen, your film caused a lot of um, debacle in Russia. And I said, why? Because the way Golda is talking to Kissinger about the Russian is insulting to them. So right now they're speaking about censoring the movie or not showing it at all. They're showing it to the Putin guys and he's going to, He's going to decide if it's going to show it or not because of this one scene that she's speaking to. This guy is crazy and the world is crazy right now. And we have to, we have to really, you know, uh, worry about that. Yeah. So you're right. It's, it's never again. It's not, it's not something I can rely on. Yeah. Uh, in our last couple of Ever minutes, again. I want to ask, in our last couple of minutes, I want to ask you about you, what, what's next for you. I know you have a movie, uh, to Tommy that I want to uh, ask you to talk about for a minute. But do you see yourself building off of skin and the themes that are culturally important or the, what we're talking about today, Israeli-Palestinian relations, global conflict? Do you th is that going to be infused in more of your work going forward? Or could you put out a movie next year about a girl who's navigating her bat mitzvah? You know what I mean? Like, where, <laughs> do you know where, do you have a vision for going forward with global issues that are personal and important to you? on the subjects that we're talking about, or is that just maybe part of what you may be doing? I met, I, I met Oliver Stone in Jerusalem Film Festival. Um, he came as a, he got a life achievement award and we spoke, we had a kind of a dinner, all of us and we spoke and, you know, he's one of my heroes, like in terms of how, the movies he's making. Um, and he did, um, which you could see a lot of them are, a lot of them are political, but sometimes you have the doors, right. you know, and then you have like jams, like, you know, U-turn or, mm -hmm. you know, um, stuff that are like, wow, he, he, he's also veering into those like relationship dramas mm -hmm. and, and other stuff. My next film, Tatami is already shot and it's about like an Iranian judoka who's fighting uh, for her freedom, basically. And I did that with Iranian filmmaker named Zari Ibrahimi, who won um, oh, Cannes two years ago. And it was amazing to collaborate with Iranian artists. And, and you know, my wife produced it as well. And uh, it was amazing. But my next movie, is is called Harmonia, which is about my grandmother mm. who, at the age of fifty five, had post depression from the Holocaust, and she wanted to kill herself until her manicurist told her that there is a woman who's a belly dancer who's gorgeous, like Sophia Loren, like she would change your life and she will make you happy. And my grandmother met with her. It was in the eighties, and um. She changed her life. They wow. danced, they, they, they fast, they, you know, they, they, they did stuff that today is like mainstream, but in the eighties, it looked like weird a little bit. Um, and she made her happy and suddenly my grandmother was spending more time with her and fell in love with her and left my grandfather and left our family 
and gave her all the reparation money from Germany. And what we didn't know is that this woman is actually a cult leader named Harmonia, and her name is Lord. And she had these 35 women around her. And when the police started investigating and the families were like, what the fuck is going on? She took all the women and brought them to Virginia in the middle of nowhere in a place called Yogaville in a Buckingham County. And they lived like, you know, she lived like a queen. She bought a plantation and my grandmother was her right hand. And, uh, cuts to two years later, my mom and my aunt are flying to Virginia to bring back their mom home and just try and do that. Um, and that, that's my next movie. God, is so, it a doc or a narrative? No, it's a narrative wow. based on real life, based, based on what happened to my grandmother. So it's not political. It's a family drama. It's about mothers and daughters and about what happened when your mother tell you someday, sometimes, or one day, leave me, just let me go. I'm not, I want my own life. I want my own freedom. And you're like, not mom, you're, you're my mom. You need to be with me for my entire life. And it's about what is family? What is pursuit of happiness? And, and that, that's my next one. So wow, answering your question about like. That sounds yeah. utterly fascinating. So uh, yes. good luck with that. Definitely have to come back and talk to us about. I will do. Because that's a whole other uh, ball of wax. Yeah, it's a whole other story. Yeah. Guy, this has really been a fascinating conversation. Uh, Andy, thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate you coming appreciate on. Appreciate you. And uh, would love you to come back. So take care. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander, and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wind. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast, and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and have a great week. Bye.